Psalm 119, the verse 136, rivers of waters run down mine eyes because they keep not thy law. Whenever you study this psalm, you soon realize that the psalmist here is a most godly man. He's a very spiritual saint. He's very Christ-like. Every section that you get into, you realize that he has a high degree of spirituality. He's a man walking very closely with the Lord. And he has a a likeness to the Redeemer uh, and a great conformity unto the Saviour. And I think you especially see that in this text that I want to leave with you today. Rivers of water run down mine eyes because there are people that are not keeping thy law. So we want to pause on this grief before we leave this room and go into the next room. This heartbreak of the man of God as is revealed in the verse before us. The psalmist is able to look the Lord in the face and to say what I think is is an amazing profession, that out of a loving tenderness for sinners and grief for sin, he can tell the Lord that rivers of waters run down his eyes. Now this section, I remind you, is mainly about the opening of the mouth. Pe means mouth. And we've been thinking about the mouth opened and the word of God entering into the mouth, going down into the soul, uh, getting into the heart. But, you know, whenever God's word goes through mouth gate into the heart, it has the effect also of melting us. It ought to melt us, the word of God. Not hardness. We harden ourselves. But if we let the word of God into us. Unhindered and unhampered. With God's blessing. It has a melting effect. And that's what is happening here. He's, he's had his mouth open. The word of God has been pouring in. And now as he leaves. He has to say there's been a great melting that has taken place. And rivers of waters are, are running down my eyes. As he leaves. So we dare not leave this room. Without pausing and thinking about this melting. It brings light the word. But light has the accompaniment of heat. And heat melts the heart. And melts the soul. Did not our heart burn within us. Making the heart soft. And sometimes tears flowing from the eyes. So David leaves this pear room. Telling God. That he has been melted. So melted that he's weeping profusely. Now whether this is a literal weeping. Or a metaphorical weeping. Whether it's uh, the weeping of a soul. Is not a major matter. Some can cry tears easier than others. Physical tears. Tears literally from the eyes. Some can have tears flowing with very little emotion. And yet others who have great emotion can hardly have any tears flowing at all. And yet can have the great sorrow of heart and the emotion deep within the soul. So 
tears in themselves are not always a measure of the melting that the word of God brings. It's the tears of the heart, particularly, that is in the main before us here. That it is heart grief, soul tenderness, and brokenness within. But David undoubtedly here has great grief, because that's what these these words mean. And the tears that are coming from this grief are not little droplets, but he has to use the word streams. Streams of tears, rivers of tears. So it's it's a great fountain of grief that has broken up within his heart. And I think this is the only time that we read of tears in this Psalm 119. He's waited long to cry, but now that he does cry, the taps are surely turned on and he's weeping heavily. Now, none of us are strangers to bitter weeping. None of us. Not even the unconverted are strangers to tears and to weeping. The first part of the verse is true of all men. Rivers of water run down mine eyes. We've all been here. All men weep at the sufferings that they go through themselves. Whenever Hezekiah heard that he was going to die, he turned his head to the wall and the Bible says he wept bitterly as he called on to God. And God says to him, I've seen thy tears. So, Whenever he got the news of terminal illness, it was a cause of weeping. And I'm sure that if that befalls any of us, that will be so. It is a great grief, great grief for the family to get this news and a great grief for Hezekiah. And and he did weep and that was natural. And even the unconverted would do that, maybe even more so. uh, They would weep at such sufferings, at such news. And similarly, if our loved ones are suffering or hurt, we, we would weep for them and weep with them. But that's not just something that belongs to the converted. The unconverted weep for their loved ones as well. The unconverted know the experience of rivers of tears running down their eyes because of the sorrows that come to the family. The tears of saints, however, such as in this text, are different. Because the tears of saints, for a start are Godward. They cry to God. They weep before the Lord. As, as David is, he's before the Lord and he's telling the Lord about his tears. He's unburning his heart to God. He's praying when he mentions this. The converted, whenever their tears come, they bring them through the Lord. They pray. Hezekiah, as I said, he wept bitterly, but it says he turned his face to the wall Probably that was the direction of the temple. He turned his face to the wall and he prayed unto the Lord. The tears coming all the while. He's crying unto God. Job said, my friends scorn me, but my eye poureth out tears unto God. So yes, scorned by your friends would be very heartbreaking. And it would make you weep. As it made Job weep. But he Poured them onto God, you see, which the unconverted are incapable of doing. They will weep, but they won't be tears onto God. So these are tears onto God. Their howling is heavenward. Their crying is 
Christward towards the Saviour. That is why we read Psalm 56. You will notice how distressed David is in that psalm. How much he is suffering, particularly at the hands of others. But he says, put thou my tears into thy bottle. He's crying profusely, but he's doing so before God. And he's picturing the Lord as having a bottle, a tear bottle. Because they would have had tear bottles in ancient times. And he pictures the Lord as kind and having a tear bottle to save them up. To remember the sorrows of his people. He weeps into the tear bottle of God. So his tears are Godward, you see. As in the text before us this morning. Telling the Lord what is on his mind and what is on his heart. But not only are these Godward tears that David is producing, they are such tears as only the godly really can have. Because David tells us why he is sorely wounded, why he is hurt. And it is because they keep not thy law. It's not because I'm hurt or suffering in myself, It's not because people are hurting me. It's not because I've got bad news. It's not because I'm sick and in pain. It's nothing to do with anything directly on me. But he says that his grief is for sin. And for the sin of others. They keep not thy law. One can truly grieve for the sins of others. And that's what David is doing here. But you know, one cannot really grieve for the sins of others if he has never learned to grieve his own sins. We have to state that. A Christian has learned to grieve his own sins. He couldn't possibly grieve for the sins of others if he's never grieved for his own. And so David is not grieving as a self-righteous person. I have to keep reiterating this. He's never self-righteous. This is the grief of one who knows God, who loves God, and who has mourned first and foremost his own sins. David is not saying he is sinless when he tells God that he weeps because they do not keep thy law. He is never saying he's sinless. In fact, we have seen that he constantly prays for mercy in this psalm. Because he knows that he is but a sinner. We have seen in this psalm that he has prayed that sin would not have dominion over him. He has his own battle with sin. uh, Trying to get the foremost in his life. And he has to daily pray, Lord, don't let it have the dominion in this warfare. So he he has a problem with the battle with sin himself. He has to battle the flesh. And we are sure that David grieved for his own sins before he grieved for the sins of others. So I don't suppose that one could grieve for the sins of others unless the Spirit of the Lord has entered into his heart and made him to grieve his own, his own iniquities. There was a time whenever David would have to put in the I here instead of they. Rivers of water run down mine eyes because I, I keep not thy law. He was not beyond having to say that. The Catechism teaches us that is man able to perfectly keep the commandments of God? 
No mere man since the fall is able in this life perfectly to keep the commandments of God, but doth daily break them in thought, word, and deed. So we're all, we're all not able to keep the law of God fully and absolutely completely. No child of God is able to do that. And so we do have to mourn and weep for our own sins too. And when we weep for the sins of others, there is no way that we ought to be capable of doing it with a self-righteous spirit or a self-righteous attitude. And so we have to repent. And repentance involves confession with grief. I can't imagine... David praying Psalm 51. You know Psalm 51, that that great psalm of penitence. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindnesses. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Purge me thoroughly from all my uncleanness. Wash me and I'll be whiter than the snow. Cleanse me, acknowledge my transgressions unto thee. And all of that, this evil have I done in thy sight. And against thee only. I can't imagine him praying that without tears. Without weeping. So he knew what it was to weep his own sins. And if we do break God's law, let us repent with tears, brethren and sisters. However, as he leaves this room, he's not thinking of his own sins. He's thinking of the sins of others. They keep not thy law. The they here is the ungodly, the wicked, those that don't keep the law. Uh, And we know very well who that is. He's talking about sinners. He might be praying about the pagans, the heathen, the heathen who don't even have God's law and who break it in ignorance, the heathen who are outside of Israel and outside the commonwealth of God's people and just don't have any light at all, who reject God's law, who reject the God of Israel altogether, uh, they are are breaking the law, though they they don't realize what they're doing. He may be praying against the pagans, the heathen, but more likely it is that he is praying for those Israelites, his fellow countrymen, who have the law, who have the Bible, who have the light of the word, but who still live in defiance of it. Sinners who who should know better. Sinners who have no excuse. Sinners who have the glorious pages of Holy Writ shining upon them and who maybe even go to church every Lord's Day and they have all these privileges and they they know the gospel and the law of God and yet they shun it and ignore it and neglect it and live contrary to it. I think it is those people that he has in mind. Not the Moabites, uh, not the Gentiles, heathen, not the Canaanites, but his own countrymen, his kith and kin, Israelites. Israel, you see, even in David's day, was plagued with idolatry. It was plagued with people turning from God's word and living contrary to the law of Moses having little concern about the scriptures, even though they knew that unto them had been committed as Israel the very oracles of God. God had to say concerning Israel that they have forsaken me. They have walked after other gods. They've served them. They've worshipped idols. They've forgotten me. And they haven't kept my law. 
God has to say that about multitudes of Israelites in David's day. They kept not the covenant of God and they refused to walk in his law. So David is speaking about unregenerate fellow countrymen. Maybe they're even the members of his own family. Maybe some of them even are members of his own cabinet as the king of the nation. This verse then, if it is to be transferred to our own age and generation, the they here are our unconverted fellow countrymen, our fellow citizens. In whatever place in society they may be. And in all places of society we see that they are not keeping the law of God, even in Parliament. They don't keep God's law, they break it. They shamelessly break it. They even bring in laws and statutes that break God's law. They command it to be broken. They allow it to be broken. And so there's this shamelessness, this abounding iniquity, even in our land and nation, so that they here are unconverted fellow citizens. It is to be emphasized here that David is not one of those who mocks at sin and laughs at it and laps it all up. Sin is not a cause of laughter. Sin is not a cause of entertainment, congregation. It is not something to be amused by and entertained by. We can't imagine David being entertained by it, finding fun in it, finding comedy in it, finding pleasure in it, in the observance of it amongst his fellow citizens. No, it causes him great grief to watch it. Rivers of water run down mine eyes because he sees this. So it's not providing him entertainment. And we have to say that the TV industry is largely given to entertainment by actors who are acting indulgence in lewdness and violence and blasphemy. And this is the kind of thing that David's eyes turn away from with grief. He doesn't enjoy it. He weeps at it. He doesn't want to be caught up then in a way of finding entertainment in it. This is the right way for David. This is the right way for all of God's people. To have grief at these things. Rivers of waters run down mine eyes. Because they keep not thy law. Nor does he have that self-righteous glee. That delight almost. Whenever the wicked fall into sin. And whenever they get more in bondage into sin. Where he maybe begins to feel better himself. And holier himself. And he, he can kind of look down upon it all. With a kind of a, a glee. That is anathema to the people of God. We, we should not have that kind of attitude either. Any kind of delighting in people set, sinning or getting caught up in sin or being led away by sin. It should always be a cause of grief. Even our worst enemies. We should not find glee when they're caught up in greater depravity. It ought to be a, a brokenness to us as well. So that kind of self-righteous contempt is abominable. And it should not be found in the hearts of those that profess the gospel of Jesus Christ and who love the Lord. So there's none of that here in this verse. 
What is then this river of tears if we look at it more closely? Well, it's two things, and this is what I want to leave with thee this morning. First of all, this is grief for the great hurt and for the dishonor done to God. It's grief for the sin. When people you love are hurt and receive hurt, you feel for them, you grieve for them. Whenever someone is in your family dishonored or hurt, you weep with them as they weep because you have this fellowship of love with them. Lawbreakers grieve God, who is the heavenly father of Christians. And they blaspheme Jesus Christ, who is the elder brother of Christians. So they dishonor God, lawbreakers. Thy law, my God's law, David can say. They dishonor the Lord, dishonored and hurt the Lord's hurt. Now, we must be careful whenever we say uh, something like that, that the Lord is hurt and the Lord grieves and the Lord weeps. We have to be careful when we use these metaphors drawn from the emotional life of men. But there is a sense in which we can say God does weep. For sinners, for what they have done to him. He weeps their blasphemy. He weeps their enmity and hatred. He weeps their despising and scorning him. And if we love dearly and did dearly love someone else, then we would we would weep with them. And so we have to weep with the Lord. And the hurt and the grief that is done to God and the dishonor that is is done to the Lord. Whenever we would be betrayed or scorned, as Job said, my friend scorned me, we weep. But is not God scorned every day? Is not God mocked every day? Is not God hurt every day? Is not the Savior dishonored every day? And should we not feel for the Lord? Should there not be something of this in us? As is in David. I think that's what we have here in this verse. Something like that. A horror. At the offense to God. David has already spoken about this. We saw in verse 53. Horror hath taken hold upon thee. Because the wicked forsake thy law. He's horrified. He feels the horror of it. He will mention it again in verse 158. I beheld the transgressors and was grieved. I was grieved, he says. I was heartbroken because they don't keep thy word. So there's this grief at the dishonor done to God. I think Paul had something like that whenever he was writing to the Philippians. You remember how he said that there are many walk of whom I told you often, and now tell you, even weeping. So he's crying as he, as he writes it, and certainly in his soul, and the tears are starting to leak from his eyes as he's writing this third chapter of Philippians. Even weeping, he says, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ. The cross on which our dear Lord died. That sacrificial attitude that he had. That love 
whereby he gave himself and redeemed sinners by his blood. That greatest of all manifestation of love. And yet there are men who speak against it and act contrary to it and preach it down and trample it under feet. Paul can't think about that, but that he's weeping. Weeping for Christ. Weeping for the despised love. Weeping for that attitude that just gives a slap to the face of Jesus. Weeping at that. Shouldn't we see sin like that? As a slap on the face of Jesus. As a scourge on his back again. As a betraying of him like Judas Iscariot. Cause of great weeping. The Lord who has done so much for men. I mean we can do good to others. And they can give us a slap on the face. And that's heart wrenching. Instead of saying thank you. There is no gratitude, but just the opposite. And yet it's not what we do to God every day. And sinners do it with utter defiance and terrible rebellion. And it is a grief. And we ought to feel. We know that the Lord delights and loves those who have this fellowship of grief with him. The fellowship of the sufferings the Bible talks about. Entering into the sufferings of the Lord. Feeling for him. Feeling with him. The Lord delights in that. That we're hurt whenever he's hurt. You remember how the man with the linen. Probably an angel. He had an ink pot. And he was clothed in linen. And in Ezekiel of a vision, in Ezekiel, God told him to go through the midst of the city and to set a mark upon the foreheads of them that sigh and cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. So there were some who were sighing. Sighing. We know what it is to sigh, don't we? Even when we don't cry, we give that rush of breath. We're just, oh, we're just feeling unhappy about it. We're sad about it. God loves to see the sigh of his people for the sins of the land and the nation. And brethren and sisters, we ought to be doing plenty of sighing at the minute. The abortion clinics are soon to be established and up and running in our hospitals for the healing of the sick, for the restoration and preserving of life, for the saving of life, And yet we have in these very institutions the taking away of life by those who have promised to uphold it. This is a cause of sign and grief. And we can't prevent this and all opposition to it will be of none effect. And God knows that. And we can't stop it. But we can grieve it. And the Lord notices the grief. And he sets a mark on the man of God who has the grief. So let us grieve the sins of the land and nation. And of course our Lord Jesus Christ was filled with this grief, wasn't he? I think that these words are the words of Christ, absolutely and ultimately speaking. The Lord Jesus fulfilled this text. And he was filled with the honour and the love for his heavenly Father. 
And he felt the slights that were done to him. Remember how he said, The zeal of thine house have eaten me up. The reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen on me, he says. Every slight against you, Father, is a slight I feel myself. Every cut and dig that you get is a dig that I feel in my own body and frame. It's all fallen me. We have this fellowship of sufferings. The Father and the Son had this fellowship of sufferings. Just as Christ and his body ought to have this fellowship of sufferings. And so that's why he made a scourge of small cords, wasn't it? And he drove them out of the temple. Oh, take them away, he says. It grieved him. This is my father's house and it's a house of prayer for all the nations. And this is what you're showing the Gentiles. This is what you're making the Gentiles think it is. You're doing a dishonor to my father. Take it all away. All this money. All this selling and buying. It's not about that. Take it away. My father's house is not a house of merchandise. But a house of prayer. Into which we should come with grief. And humility of mind and heart. So there's something of grief here. For the sins and the dishonor that are done against God. But I think these rivers of tears indicate something further. It is, I believe, also grief for the hurt that sinners do to themselves. They keep not thy law, and they're doing hurt to themselves. Grief for what they are foolishly pulling down on their own heads, the judgment and the destruction and so I think there's something of a burden of, for souls here. A concern for the perishing. David would desire them to turn. He would desire them to stop offending God. He would also that they would be mercifully spurred and delivered and saved from these things. You see, these people would include his own family. I mean, he had sons who were not very good people at all. And there were terrible things happened in his house. He had to say on his deathbed, though my house be not so. It's not so with thee, Lord, the way it ought to be. So he has people in his own house. And he is desiring their salvation. He is desiring that they be delivered. These are people he lived with and shepherded with in Bethlehem. And the servants of the Lord are commanded to release streams of tears for the perishing. Doesn't the Bible say, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, spur thy people, O Lord. So they're, they're to be weeping for the salvation of the people. They're to be weeping that the Lord will save the souls and intervene and deliver them from their iniquities. Spur thy people. O Lord, don't give your heritage to reproach. You remember Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet, of course. Every chapter of his book of Jeremiah is covered in tears. and Well, the Lamentations itself has just been dipped in a whole barrel of tears. The weeping prophet. I think that's a reason why Jesus Christ was mistaken as a Jeremiah. So he's one, one who knew a lot about tears. 
If ye will not hear, he says to God's people, My soul shall weep in secret places for your pride. And mine eyes shall weep sore and run down with tears. Because the Lord's flock is carried away captive. It's because the hurt that they've brought on themselves. It's because of the judgment and the destruction that they've brought to themselves. He didn't say they deserve it Lord. I'm clapping my hands. I'm rejoicing. I'm happy about it. That these rebels against your word are being damned. That wasn't Jeremiah. I weep my soul in secret places. That's Jeremiah and that's Christ too. Remember whenever Samuel was informed of Saul's folly and sin and his consequent judgment, did the prophet smile and fill with delight and glee? It grieved Samuel, the Bible says. And he cried unto the Lord all night, all night. The man of sorrows himself, our gentle and most loving Saviour, Jesus Christ. You have the testimony of the gospel itself concerning him. He's a man of sorrows, not just because of the physical sufferings that he endured, but because of this tenderness of heart within him that he constantly carried in his walk amongst sinners. So he didn't just cry because... He suffered at their hands. He cried for the sorrows that would come upon them also. And as I say, this verse, our text, is more appropriate in his mouth even than in the mouth of David. I reckon every night he could have said this to his father. I'm sure he did say this to his father every night. Rivers of waters run down mine eyes. Because they keep not thy law. Moreover are we not told in the Bible. That whenever he beheld the city. And he saw all the barriers. And the barricades of the Romans. As they were setting up the siege machinery. He saw it foreshadowed in his vision. And he beheld the city. And the doom and the destruction. That was coming upon them. And he wept. Over the city. One final example from that apostle whose ministry was a ministry to the Gentiles and yet even for the Hebrews he had the most tender of compassion and the heaviest of burden. For he said in Romans chapter 9 verse 2 I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ." For my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So Paul, he truly outlived our text that we are considering this morning. So what can I say then, congregation, in closing? Well, in the light of all these examples, let us find grace in the Lord. And let us ask him to help us. To help us cast away any hardness of heart that we may have, any lack of tenderness that we find within us. And let us be given to meltedness for sin, our own sin, but also for the sins of others, and meltedness for the souls of others. Let us turn away from any self-righteousness that looks down on the strain rather than 
pity them. Let us desire mercy, not judgment. Let us feel for the Lord who loved us with an everlasting love, and to feel for sinners who shall perish with an everlasting damnation. These things should produce in us tenderness and not hardness. You know, whenever I was young, I heard a frequent prayer in the prayer meetings. Give us a burden for sinners. I was frequently, constantly prayed. And the people then had burdens for sinners that I'd shown us. And yet they still asked for this. Give us a burden for souls. But now I'm older and I see fewer at prayer meetings and I hear fewer saying this. And hardly ever now do we see tears at all. So may may God visit us. May he be merciful to us. And may he pour out upon us Holy Spirit, meltedness and brokenness for his own name's sake and glory. Amen.